It's September 23rd, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Starting us off this hour, photographer Min Tun is here to introduce Hawaii Holo, a new site offering 360-degree tours of Hawaii hotspots. Then Mike Shanahan from the Bishop Museum will tell us about a new laser show at the Planetarium. And finally, for the remainder of the hour, we'll revisit the High Seas Project with Dr. Kim Binstead and hear firsthand about the life uh, cooped up in a space simulation habitat for eight months from Neil Scheibelhut. And we're always open to your thoughts or questions. You can be ready to call in or tweet after the break. And of course, uh, we want to get right to our guests and We have uh, Min Tun here, and he's here to tell us about this uh, showcase of 360-degree panoramas called Hawaii Holo. Welcome to the show, Min. Thank you so much much for having me, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, Min, it was exciting to discover your site. I was doing a story on my blog, and I was looking for a really good picture of, I think, JJ's uh, Bistro. And, of course, you know, maybe you might borrow the Google Street View shot, or you might find a Creative Commons shot. And I was like, whoa. You can take, you can go into this. You're 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 browsing around on Google Maps, and suddenly you can you see a little arrow, and you can go straight in the door and walk around in the restaurant and look around and see it. And in a very nice tiny credit, it said, uh, "Photo by Min Tun." I said, "I need to get in touch with this guy." So I, I'm glad to find you. So um, you are a photographer, and I guess there's a relationship you have with Google. Yes, that's correct. I'm a certified Google business photographer. And what we do is we bring Google Street View indoors. Uh, as you mentioned, we shoot the inside of all the local businesses so the businesses can showcase uh, the in- their interiors to people around the world. So how long has this been? This program been going on? I mean, from a strictly kind of consumer standpoint, you know, there's uh, Photosphere and people have been going out there and shooting sort of these 360s. But for the actual business customer, how long has this program been out there? The program launched in late uh, 2011. And I had joined the program in uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing this for about three years. And you were a photographer before. Yes. Was your, was your focus at that time even commercial photography? Or this has turned out to be the, the passion interest? Why, why suddenly going from maybe artistic shots of um, nicely candlelit tables to fully immersive pictures? Um, well, I was a photographer b- before, but more of a hobbyist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, I guess one of the things that I was kind of curious about is what was it about Google and their offering that made you think, hey, there's an opportunity here. Uh, was there a program that was listed on a website? You know, did Google come out with some sort of promotion for this, you know, business uh, um, 360 opportunity? I mean, how did you kind of latch on to that? Yeah, it's something I get asked a lot. Um, actually, I have a friend that works over in Mountain View. Uh, okay, well, that's, that's pretty close to where headquarters yes, is, right? Right. At the head. So when the opportunity came around for Hawaii, she gave me a call. And I said, hey, Min, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. So, so was your friend working at Google? Yes. Ah, yes. you got the inside scoop then. She huh? was actually the lead recruiter. But it is, an, it is an open program for other photographers. I, I know there are other photographers beyond you that are doing this in Hawaii on all of the different islands. Um, so this I like because we've talked about Google and its street view, and it does go, they take carts inside of museums, inside of um, landmarks, but this this program lets you to go into small, tiny coffee shops. I mean, you know, s- small businesses that might not otherwise attract Google directly. So you're doing this business, um, and now you came up with this idea for Hawaii Holo. What is Hawaii Holo? A Hawaii Holo can be thought of as a virtual visitor's guide. I wanted, It started off with me just wanting to 
compile a lot of the shoots that I've done, brought, bring them all together in one place, and it kind of grew from there. And so we've, we're building it out as a guide uh, to showcase a lot of the inside of the businesses in Hawaii. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <clears throat> is, your, is your aim just to, I mean, you're out there taking pictures of uh, different establishments, but just to have an archive of all the places that you've actually photographed? Somewhat, but actually more than that, we wanted to leverage uh, new emerging technologies. For example, the Google overlays, which can now be put on top of the Google tours. And this is pretty interesting because this is it's just started. We just started doing it recently, where you can, for example, if let's take High Steakhouse for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if you go into their Google tour, there's basically two flaws with the Google tours, and one of them is that it's basically a silent walkthrough. Um, you're missing a lot of marketing opportunities when you're going through the tours. Um, The second is that you actually have to travel throughout the tour to get to a particular point of interest. Uh, In the case with High Steakhouse, they have a beautifully renovated executive level in the back, but you have to travel all the way through to do it. Mm -hmm. The overlays, you can actually jump to different locations within the tour by having descriptions uh, as a label menu on the side. And you can also add over uh, video overlays, like a YouTube video, right on top of the tour. And you can do something else. You can actually have a pop-up that says uh, make a reservation and have that link directly to the, through to OpenTable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's metadata that you as the service provider is able to insert to help them kind of build out the offerings in these tours. Yes. So exactly. Hawaii Holo, are you aiming it at um, visitors? Like there was, there have been some 3D tour companies. They do hotels and stuff like that specifically for the visitors industry. But I, was found, I found some interesting things on your site. But who are you trying to uh, attract with Hawaii Holo? The visitors, to mm-hmm. give them a visual experience. Because when I visited, I saw uh, you had taken a tour of the international marketplace, which now does not even exist. So I suddenly felt very nostalgic being able to walk through that and see the banyan tree and all the vendors there because it's, going to, it's, not, it's not there now, and it's definitely not going to look like that when they've rebuilt it. And that actually was not my shoot. Mm-hmm. That was done by another Google-certified photographer named Richard Keith. Mm-hmm. And he did a shoot of the International Marketplace, and I asked him if it would be okay to post that onto Hawaii Holo. Now, when you, uh, you, you had brought up a high steakhouse, and, and if you were to go on Google and do a search up for high steakhouse, uh, they have something on the right-hand side. What, what, do you, what do you refer to that as? That's called a knowledge graph. A knowledge graph. Okay, so the knowledge graph has a couple things on it, right? I mean, it has, mm-hmm. it has photos, and it has also something that says see inside. Now, how does somebody actually get this 360 see inside asset put onto their, their this knowledge? The search results. On the search results. Simply, simply by doing having a Google shoot done of their location, mm-hmm. of their business, that's all. And then Google will add the see inside block to the knowledge graph. And Google will not only add it onto their Google search results, but it will also be added to if they search on Google Maps as well or on Google Plus Local. Now, are there limitations on businesses? I mean, certainly if I run a, 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 a car, a, food truck, and I'm not in the same place, that probably wouldn't work. Or if it's a, a canopy tent and not really a, a, an interior retail space, um, what other things do you run into? I, of course, it looks like you're not supposed to have people, for example, in these photo shoots. Uh, actually, we can. The uh, only thing is that we have to blur them for privacy, mm-hmm. for, the, for the privacy policy. But mm-hmm. um, faces and license plates. They get blurred out. <laughs> yes, they get blurred out. You can have people in the shoots. Um, however, I've found out that most of the businesses actually don't want to mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. people in there, mostly restaurants. Some coffee shops want to show it crowded. I so see. that's, of course, 
up to the business. Owner. Now, what is uh, generally how do you determine the pricing for the service? If I ran a restaurant or if I ran a, uh, a co-working space and I wanted to kind of allow people to walk around inside, how does that work? The pricing is based on the physical location, the size of the location. Uh, it's a one-time fee, mm-hmm. and it just it also depends a bit on the difficulty of the shoot as well. You know, uh, do you have any sort of analytics on the click-through to the sea inside? Great question. Uh, we've been requesting that for a while, uh-huh. and uh, we're being told that it will come, but not just not yet. But for Hawaii Holo with the overlays, mm-hmm. yes, we can actually uh, track the clicks on those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I've definitely enjoyed the site, and whether it's the international marketplace or businesses that I perhaps might not have the budget to dine at in the near future, <laughs> it is a good way to sneak inside without getting thrown out. So if somebody wanted to check out Hawaii Holo, see some of these locations that you're highlighting, um, and perhaps learn more about this program, where do they go? Just visit www.hawaiiholo.com or send an email to min, that's M-I-N-N, at hawaiiholo.com, or give me a call, 808-321-9831. Sounds good. And we'll put a link on our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. Very good, very good. Well, thanks, Min, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, now joining us is Mike Shanahan, and he's from the Bishop Museum, and he's here to tell us about a new laser light show over at the Planetarium. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you for having me. Good evening, everyone. Now, laser light shows, you know, I remember laser light shows. I mean, this is not something new. Uh, You have laser light shows, you shoot them up into smoke, and you can see all the um, designs that it makes. But what is different and what is new about this laser light show inside the planetarium? So you may have seen laser light shows in some capacity Mm -hmm. in the continental U.S., or at one time they ran them on the flat-screened IMAX when it was there in Waikiki. Mm -hmm. But amazingly enough, here's a true statement, right? Laser shows were invented in Los Angeles 42 years ago at the Griffith Observatory. Lazarium was the first show that did this. And since that time, 42 years ago, there's never been a laser light show in a dome on Oahu. So that is what's special about this new set of shows that we're offering. So when we're talking about a projection of lasers on a screen or maybe at a circus or a 50th state fair, that's not what you're talking about. Right. There's something about just being in that domed environment. Now, one advantage, I was here a few years ago to talk about our renovated planetarium system with this beautiful star field and immersive full dome video. So we can add that to the laser experience. So you mm-hmm. can see this great laser effect and have Orion go drifting on behind it as I slowly speed up the rate of the star rotation. Uh, but being in that immersive environment where laser shows were originally created and where they were meant to be seen, that is what is new about this program. So normally what, it's outside, like it's, you know, like they have some sort of fake cloud floating outside and they shoot the laser and it's having the design be painted onto the uh, cloud, right? So in a dome, what kind of an effect are you actually achieving inside this closed environment? Well, I mean, you can make it really dark inside the Mm -hmm. dome. The colors really... Uh, hit you when you see it. And this is one of the hard things about letting folks know about a laser show without them coming to actually see it. The purity of a light is amazing. The incredible reds and blues and greens, all the colors of the rainbow, really. Don't come across if you show a video because you're taking this incredible natural light and turning it into pixels, right? So if you're in the dome itself, seeing these vivid colors set to the music, uh, it is still... Uh, one of the most unique experiences you can have in a planetarium. Even after the full dome uh, revolution, Mm -hmm, there's still nothing mm -hmm. quite the same as a laser light show. 
No, Mike, I know you've been with the Planetarium for a long time, and your passion for it is great. When people go, you're the person, you're the voice they hear. Um, and uh, we've been members of the Bishop Union for a long time, from before to now after this great renovation. Um, how does the laser light uh, amplify the educational aspect of what you do there, or is it really kind of just to dazzle people and have a good time? It's both. I mean, I have been, I began in my museum career as a laser light show usher at Pacific Science Center in the 70s. So I have a disposition towards laser shows. (laughs) But among the shows we're going to be doing is a retelling, for example, of the Perseus and Andromeda story set to lasers. That'll be at uh, 11 o'clock every day in October from the 3rd onwards. And we also have an Orion story. So there are educational programs as well. Although part of it is that it is just pure dang fun. So the, the fun part cannot be... Well, so you've been in science education for 30 years, and here's an opportunity with this high-tech new technology in a high-tech, wonderful environment. Are you just turning up the dubstep and DJing and shooting the screen and just getting (laughs) everybody moving in their seats? Pretty much, yes, yes. Our CEO got, uh, I think you know Blair Collis, got to see our, uh, you know, the song Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin in lasers during our test yesterday. Okay. And it... Well, Again, blew his mind. because we've also just renovated, the sound system sounds amazing as well. And so uh, to have this really full, rich sound of Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or the Beatles, for that matter, uh, with the laser lights, it's a pretty hot combination, i got to be honest. Well, you know, Led Zeppelin was, is definitely one of my favorite bands. Now, this laser equipment uh, that you have, is it brand new or is it something that you've had for a while and... What is it about this new program that is the first time? I mean, didn't you have this equipment before? No, we actually were renting it from a company based in Orlando, Florida called AVI. Okay. And it literally, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they send it FedEx and it appears in a box and you go and get <laughs> the box out of the mailroom and you install it. And 24 hours later, there are laser shows where no laser shows ever existed before. Now, is this something that you have plans to purchase, or is it just a rental for limited time? Yeah, limited time offering. only. That's a great question because we can do it on a rent-to-own basis if we so desire, or we can just rent it for three months and bring it back like dinosaurs every couple of years as a special event. Mm. Uh, event. So a lot of it is our testing the market here to see what the turnout is like and how the reaction is and what shows play well or not. Um, it's a beautifully done arrangement because you, ac- you have access to twenty-one different shows. Uh, for no added cost. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. We'll, we're going to open with six different shows throughout the week. Of course, Pink Floyd. Of course, Led <laughs> of course. Zeppelin. But also, Stairway remember, to Heaven. We've got to do Stairway <laughs> to Heaven. You know, it's, there is a law that you have to play Stairway to Heaven and Pink Floyd. It's a city ordinance. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> I don't want to go to... Now, 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 the million-dollar question that I know our listeners are just begging to ask, how much does this unit cost? The rental fee is very, very affordable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's but if you want to buy this thing, I mean, well, how much would you have to To buy spend? a full laser system, part of it depends on whether you want it just automated or if you want the con- ability to control the laser lights yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if we decide that we want to actually buy a system, we'd have to factor a lot of things into that. I would love to have the ability, if we go that route, to do a Hawaiian music laser show sure. and, and create our own effects or a Brazilian music show. The highest end would probably be forty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. The lowest mm-hmm. end would probably be about eight thousand. Mm-hmm. Now, is it portable that you, if you wanted to do a special show in the Halau, or you wanted to do a special show in Hawaii Hall, um, 
just to take advantage of the different environment or a different back background. Is that something that this does, or it's really maximized for your dome? It's maximized for the dome, but there are also portable laser systems that we've used in other environments as well that I've used at Pacific Science Center when I used to work there. Now, you mentioned that it comes with programs, so... uh, but you do have at this point the ability to do to trigger things automatically, do a different specific color you're looking for for something else that you're doing. You can build something like that too. Um, the shows are pre-programmed. I see, I see. Yeah, it's incredibly easy to use. You just dial through and you go, okay, I want to play Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. Dark Side of the Moon. Hit play, and the whole album unfolds to laser lights. Now, uh, is there an opportunity to? let's say, create your own content? Like, you know, in the example of doing a Hawaiian music, uh, uh, let's say, program, would you be able to program your own? What would it take, what does it take to do that? So this is a goal down the road if this, so so I think we're being very akamai about this, if I say so myself. We're running for three months, we're testing the water, Uh seeing what the demand is. We'll assess how we did in this three-month period from October 3 to the 5th of January. But then as we look at it, if we want to invest in buying a system, mm-hmm. then with that comes the ability to create our own shows. Sure, right, right So right. I would love to do a Hawaiian show. Now, you've I talked w- about how yeah. vibrant the light is, but, yeah. but we're also seeing – we're always watching news stories, kids with laser lights, potentially blinding people. There's no risk, I would imagine – to enjoying this particular presentation. No, no. It's by the time that it hits the dome, it is, you know, <laughs> Diffused, no safely. danger to the eye. I mean, Not unless you stick your eye right on top right, of the projector. And, you know, if you went out of your way and got a ladder and went all the way up and looked down and... But then why not, you know, if you, if you want to hurt your eyes that way, why not just get a <laughs> get fork and stick it in your eye? So, you know, there's All an right. easier way okay, to we're, hurt we're your eyes. off a little topic here. <laughs> well, I was always concerned about yeah, safety. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Kids, good, I'm not saying point. to do that, but <laughs> Please don't. Yeah. So, okay, so when does this start again? So it opens on October 3rd, which mm-hmm. is a week uh, from Saturday. And we're going to basically have shows seven days a week for matinees. 11 o'clock is going to be the retelling of the Perseus and Andromeda story, essentially the story of the Clash of the Titans, told Mm -hmm. in laser lights. And then 3.30 every day from October 1 to November 1, we have the Fright Light Halloween music show. Wow. So we're going to have a Halloween show, you know, Monster Mash, Frankenstein, Beggar Winters, and so forth in laser lights. Sounds like a lot of fun. So So with uh, general admission, you can take in all of these laser programs. It'll be general admission, then a $5 add-on for... Uh, for general or three bucks for for members. And then in the evening, we'll be having uh, the Rock Laser shows Wednesday through Saturday nights. And Fridays and Saturdays will be our Pink Floyd evenings. (laughs) I I think I might try that out. My wife would definitely be interested. I want to do the Led Zeppelin (laughs) one. So where can someone go for information on this program, the lasers, and um, what shows they want to attend? Just go right to bishopmuseum.org. And it's one of the banners on our main website. Just click on the laser banner. It will give you the full schedule for October 3rd to the end of October. Super. Thanks, Mike, for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you for uh, listening to our show. When we take a short break, we will return with Kim Binstead and Neil Scheibelhut from High Seas to talk about the Mars Habitat. And what new new things do we learn as we lengthen the stay inside this Mars habitat? We'd love to hear your thoughts or questions as part of the conversation, so please give us a call. The number here is 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands at 1-877-941-3689. You can also tweet us your questions. We're watching Twitter at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Support your favorite radio station and other charitable organizations you care about through Foodland's annual Give Aloha program. 
During the month of September, make a donation to Hawaii Public Radio at Foodland, Sack and Save, or Foodland Farms, and you'll be helping the station to earn a portion of the generous matching funds made available by Foodland and the Western Union Foundation. Information is at hawaiipublicradio.org. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me tonight from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin Big Band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat tonight from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you tonight. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. And joining us today are Dr. Kim Binstead and Neil Scheibelhut. And Kim is the co-investigator on the space food study over at High Seas, the Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation, and, of course, the principal investigator on the next three years or the three years, hence, of High Seas uh, and the missions, and, uh, of course, which... uh, have occurred the four, the eight, and the 12-month mission. Just started, that's right. Neil, meanwhile, served as the crew medical officer and biologist on High Seas Mission 3. During the eight-month mission, he performed research involving the human microbiome and microbial fuel cells. Wow. And, of course, what do we learn as we extend the stays on in the habitat? We'd love to hear your questions or comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Kim and Neil, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks a lot, Bert. Well, Kim, you know, we've had you on from probably the very beginning. First and, mission. You know, the, <laughs> yeah, the first uh, four month and, what, it's four, four, eight. And now the 12. Right. They started the 12 month in August. Right. And of course, you know, in the first, the four month one, that was kind of the the food study. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, that's right. And that was fun. That was, you know, all about what can they cook and what can they, what kind of food, I guess, be creative about recipes uh, inside the habitat. That was kind of an interesting. Well, I like the part that it was the test of, you know, the camaraderie that can be created, whether you're preparing food versus eating something that's pre-prepared, but saving the time. Mm-hmm, and, you mm-hmm. know, which balance do you want to reach? But we've been tracking this uh, exp- this uh, this mission for a long time, and we always love an opportunity to catch up and certainly talk about the uh, 12-month, which is mind-boggling to me, living in a dome for that mm. long. But before we get there, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the High Seas Project, which has now been featured by CNN, Front <laughs> page of the paper, so it's probably relatively well-known. Um, what about missions two and three, uh, including the one that Neil was on? What were the different focuses or foci of those those missions? Well, so as you said, the very first mission was the food study. Uh, the next three missions, including the 12-month that just started, are all about crew cohesion and performance. So it really is more about uh, crew psychology, um, how the crew members work together, uh, and how that evolves over time, over these very long-duration missions. 
And for the funding of this, I know that uh, when we first had you on, I think in 2013 for that Mission 1, um, there was NASA involvement and such, but there have been some milestones in the sense that it got additional funding to go certain number of years. Um, where does that stand right now? How is this um, program moving along in terms of the, the support that it has? Right. Well, we've been NASA funded all along. They funded the food study, and then the next three missions, uh, that is the Crew Cohesion and Performance Study. That's also funded by the NASA Behavioral Health and Performance Group. And then recently, we just found out they're going to fund us for another uh, three years. Well, so, okay, before we get to the next three years, because I'm interested in what are you going to do after this one-year mission, uh, when you talk about crew cohesion, what kinds of actual experiments or actual, let's say, um, tasks do, do the crew members do that measures that cohesion? Well, I talk about it like it's one study, right. but it's really a set of studies. So the theme is basically how do you capture um, crew psychology, crew cohesion without necessarily asking Same. people, yeah, right? right? Um, because astronauts, bless their socks, tend <laughs> not to necessarily um, be all that uh, introspective and maybe weren't all that interested in sharing that psychological state. So, for example, uh, there are the um, Michigan State University uh, badges um, that maybe uh, Neil can describe for you. Okay, so um, imagine a, a deck of cards mm-hmm. that you have to wear around your neck um, all hours while you are awake. Um, LAUGHTER these register our interactions between each other. They will register when they're pointed at another badge. So they will record, oh, well, X crew member is interacting with X crew member. And, uh, you know, they record sound, uh, not necessarily audio, but sound levels. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they'll know uh, if there's loud sounds or something like that. So um, they're able to, through those, they're able to see how we're interacting with each other uh, during uh, during particular tasks that we have to do. And then also um, when we don't have any tasks that we have to perform with each other, um, they'll be able to see who we're hanging out with in our spare time. And they're able to track that as well. Mm-hmm. So, so when you did the four-month uh, mission, this is the second four-month, you were already incorporating some of these kinds of, uh, I guess, I don't know what to call them. Like they're measurement not tools, environmental. Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah they're passive measurements of crew cohesion. Mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, we started incorporating them in the second four month mission, and uh, there are several others that we're doing. So one, for example, is a basically a video game that the crew play with each other, and that um, depending on how well they're working together or competing with each other, that gives a sense also of crew cohesion. So mm-hmm. there's a, a bunch of different ways that we've been approaching this. So, so Neil, when when did you get involved? Were you involved? You were involved in the in the first. I mean, a second four month, right? As kind of a support person. I was actually involved in the first four month mission. Mm, the um, first four months. Okay. Yes, okay. Um, I acted kind of a ground support. I was kind of the water boy. Mm-hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I I ran water up to the hab. Uh, there was much less storage than there is now for water, uh, and I also assisted with uh, preparing some samples for some like uh, nasal olfactory uh, sensation. Uh, testing. Oh, mm-hmm. I definitely want to ask about that. But so here you are, you're assisting as a researcher and you have people in the hab and you're observing and you're assisting and supporting. What got into you where you said, well, golly, I want to be in there. <laughs> golly. <laughs> um, I think once the crew came out and uh, I got to interact with the crew a little bit face to face and talk to them about their experience, I was like, wow, this is this is such a really awesome project. And it would be 
really awesome to actually be part of the project to be a crew member in the I, I mean I've always liked camping so I mean <laughs> who wouldn't want to go camping for a long time in a big dome <laughs> but your time was eight months eight months and that that already sounds pretty significant to me in terms of the isolation Kim uh, how would you describe to somebody how isolated they are they're very visually isolated, mm. so they don't see from the habitat. You can't see any human activity except uh, the telescopes glinting off in the distance on top of Mauna Kea. Uh, you, there's no plant life, no animal life except for the occasional spider. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so it, it's very visually isolated. All you really see out the window is, is red rock stretching off into the distance. It looks very Mars-like. Mm-hmm. The flip side, of course, is they're not actually all that isolated. If someone were to break a leg, we could have them at the hospital fairly quickly. And this is both good and bad. It means that uh, psychologically, they don't feel in as much danger, mm. for example, as you might if you were in Antarctica. So that's that's not realistic. Um, but on the flip side, it does mean we can mess with them more. Oh, <laughs> Because we know that if something were to go wrong, we can get them out of there. So you can subject there. them to a scenario that would be life-threatening in an actually environmentally uh, distant and unreachable way, but they're not actually in that kind of thing. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So is that like just unplugging the lights? What are you talking about? Well, I, I say that we, we can stress them, but uh, to be honest, uh, we have been um, lucky enough that we've had enough real things go wrong, but we haven't <laughs> had to fake all that many. I see, I see. <laughs> and they're also isolated um, communications-wise, correct? That's right. So uh, because of the time it takes for a signal to get from Earth to Mars, um, we impose a 20-minute each-way delay on all communications. So mm-hmm. that means no mm-hmm. no real-time phone calls, um, no real-time video chats, no real-time social networking. But So most of the interaction happens by email. So, so Neil, when you uh, took on the eight-month eight mission, uh, what sort of experiments were you expecting, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, this sort of crew cohesion and, and not, you know, not thinking that uh, Kim's going to pull any tricks on you. I mean, what, what, what were you already prepared to go in and experiment with? Um, well, quite frankly, um, one, of the, one of the great things about this mission was we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into other than we're going to go live in a, live in a dome for eight months. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a little bit of knowledge from the four-month mission about the food and, and that sort of thing. But as far as any of the experiments or anything like that that we were asked to do, um, we had no prior knowledge. So, oh, okay. uh, you know, a few days before we entered the dome, we got briefed on everything that we were going to be doing. But as far as anything before that, I, it, was, it was a complete mystery. And every member of the crew, in all of the crews, they're also doing their own experience. They have their own uh, objective that they want to meet, whether it's a scientific experiment or even uh, uh, an artistic experiment. Did you have one? Or because you were part of also the team, you were more of an uh, operational player? Yes, I actually I had, uh, I had a few projects that I was working on. Um, on the scientific side, I was working with, uh, I, I collected some samples for analysis of our uh, microbiome. Um, as, you may, uh, as you may or may not know, we have uh, bacteria and all kinds of organisms living on and inside of us. Uh, so when six people live in isolation and only have contact with each other, how how does our microbiome react to that, and uh, how do how do our organisms change um, based on the interaction interaction with just those people? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So I, I did some of that. I worked with microbial fuel cells, which um, again it's uh, uh, bacteria that um, 
uh, I specifically worked with compost bacteria, and those in the right conditions will emit electricity. Uh, so you can actually generate electricity from compost. Uh, so I, I did some experiments with that, and um, I monitored the water quality in the HAB, and I also did uh, some photography, which is so, a hobby. So, Neil, uh, was this part of a Ph.D. program that you came up with some of the experiments that you were personally researching? Uh, no, actually, those were just um, kind of off the top of my head. I'm, I'm now, <laughs> I'm now, uh, I'm, I'm now immersed in a uh, master's program at the University of Hawaii mm-hmm. at Manoa, uh, and uh, it's actually has something to do with uh, the dome uh, experience. Um, I'm actually um, trying to create energy from wastewater uh, in a way that it could be ap- uh, applied to uh, a Mars habitat. You've certainly got a pretty good body of data to work from, perhaps Absolutely. more so than some <laughs> other PhD students. Kim, uh, I'm going to break briefly. I do want to talk about more of the specific sci- sci- uh, science projects, but uh, this has been on my mind since since let's okay. I'll just say it since Uh-oh. I read the book The Martian. Yeah, there right? we are. So. <laughs> we we were talking to you back in 2013. And you're like, oh, how cute, how quaint, you know, this this habitat and the science that's happening. And we're learning about. I mean, I'm not feeling this way, but certainly it's it's an unusual experiment, food experiment, and it's gone to the point where it is in the public consciousness in a big way that Mars exploration is the next significant space frontier for us. Um, Hallelujah! And so now we have the book, The Martian, which I really enjoyed, Mm -hmm. specifically because of the science in it. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a movie coming out. But before I get before I fall too much in love with the fiction side, how 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 much of a grain of salt should I be taking that? Have you read the book? I've read the book. I'm very excited about the movie. All right. How did you feel the book reflected some of the things that you're trying to learn? in real time with these um, habitation studies? It's pretty good. Um, the, I mean, of course, the difference there is that the book mostly focuses on a, p- a person stuck by themselves, which is kind of the opposite of what we're studying. True, true. Uh, uh, but that said, you know, the systems, um, I think uh, if, if you've been reading the sort of scientific critiques of the book, everyone has a bit of an issue with the opening storm. But we understand that that was just for a dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. Um, storms on Mars are not likely to cause that level of a problem. Um, but that's fine. You want to set up your crew member on their own on the surface. It's great. But a lot of the other things that, that go wrong and the approaches to fixing them are at the very least plausible. I love it. Like the MacGyver, how do you how do you have enough organic matter and where do you mm-hmm. go to get that and you know and specifically the delay in communications mm-hmm. with Earth, for example. Now you guys are leaving out the big punchline, right? I mean there's no it's like no spoiler alerts being well, we're, that's, revealed I'd be, here because I'd be very careful not to. I mean, you know, you brought up a book, you brought up a movie, you brought up something that sounds very, very intriguing, but you're kind of leaving me hanging here. Oh, just read the book. That's all I can okay, say. Okay, okay. You know, we're talking to Kim Binstead and Neil Scheibelhut, and they're both very much a part of the High Seas Mars Habitat mission that's taking place right now over on the uh, Big Island and on the slopes of uh, Mauna Loa. If you have a comment or question, feel free to give us a call. That number is 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. We want to welcome Jerry from Maui to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Aloha, guys. Uh, aloha, Kim. It's Jerry Isdale. Oh, hey, Jerry. How you doing? I'm doing quite well. I was really pleased to turn on the radio and, and hear you guys uh, on Bite Marks. It was 
lovely uh, talk earlier on the other parts of things and laser shows and all that, and uh, now to hear your stuff here. Two questions for you today. Um, first question, you guys got these people in there, and you're studying their group interactions and so forth, and you were studying also their food prep and the other things before. What else are they doing in terms of experiments or life activities? I know you guys were going out and doing soil or, or environmental sampling and those lovely suits and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second question is somewhat related to that and to the, uh, the upcoming Martian. How much MacGyvering do, does the crew need to do, or do they just call out for more water deliveries and uh, uh, replacement parts rather than just duct tape? Well, Excellent question. Thank yeah, you. Good thanks. stuff, Jerry. Thanks for calling. So for the first question, how the crew spend their time during the day, well, the, the main research, the cohesion research, there's uh, takes up a lot of time. There's a lot of questionnaires and surveys and activities they do with that, and, and we tried to keep that to a minimum, but so it goes. Um, then they, of course, also have to uh, do habitat maintenance, um, so housework type stuff, cooking and cleaning and fixing things. Uh, they do their own research. They do what we call opportunistic research. So that's projects that aren't associated with the cohesion study but are still of interest to NASA. And that has to do with, oh, gosh, everything uh, from growing plants to um, exercise systems to antimicrobial fabrics. Um and then, of course, they also have to go outside. So they, they, we give them geological field work, um, and we measure their performance on that as a way of um, – one of many ways of, of estimating their performance so we can compare it with cohesion. So they have really full days. Mm-hmm. And I will partially answer the MacGyvering question, but uh, maybe Neil can yes. jump in with a story of his own. Um, so we let them fix as much as possible. Um, some things are outside the simulation. So, for example, we're not recycling water. So we do resupply them with water um, as they run low. Um, but generally speaking, we try and let them, shall we say, feel the consequences of <laughs> of their, not necessarily errors, but of, uh, of things breaking down. Decisions. So, yeah. Neil? Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, we were lucky on our mission. We had uh, a 3D printer um, that was utilized uh Wonderfully, when we need it, you know, when a part broke or when we needed a little doohickey for a thingamabobber, um, you know, scientific uh, terms. Yes, yeah, yeah. slow it down um, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we were able to design and, and and print a lot of things that otherwise we would normally have to either wait for a resupply for or just uh, do without. Uh, so that was um, invaluable. Uh, and and I think it would be invaluable for uh, future Mars missions as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of want to get into sort of the psychology and the cohesion and some of the experiments that you sort of alluded to, like with, you know, like the, I don't know, the lay of cards. And, mm-hmm. and what do you actually do with that? And what do you learn from that? So we will get to that. We want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Kim Binsett and Neil Scheibelhut about extended stays on Mars. How does leadership work in such an environment, and how can you overcome personal stresses or possible conflicts in such a small, confined space? We'd, of course, love to hear your questions as well. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Hello, I'm Bill Comerford, President of Kelly O'Neill's. In O'Toole's Irish Pub. There's a certain pride in knowing that you know, you're providing something cultural for the community 
particularly when it matches what we do, that's just like heaven. You know, it's appropriate to us and it's appropriate to the cultural uh, aspect of the uh, whole islands and it's appropriate to what we do in our bars. It's just a natural fit. I'm very happy to have it. Hawaii Public Radio, celebrating partnership, building community. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Gail Brenner, author of The End of Self-Help. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how suffering is optional. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Dr. Kim Binstead and Neil Shabblehut about the High Seas Mars Exploration Mission. And, of course, you can give us a call. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, right before the break, we were kind of leading into this area of psychology. And, Neil, you have been a participant of the eight-month mission. And during the eight-month mission, I mean, you kind of alluded to some experiments and how you would, you know, wear these things that would, you know, people could measure how much interaction you would have with somebody and maybe the volume of your vocalizing and maybe the intensity of whatever emotions might come out. Is Neil whispering or is he yelling? Is he yelling? <laughs> so, 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 Neil, can you kind of start to um, paint us a picture of what you went through during that eight, mo- eight months and, and what were some of the lessons that you might have come away with? Okay, well, it was um, it was actually uh, really interesting because I had no idea how this whole thing was going to work out. Mm-hmm. I, I was really interested myself to see how we were going to get along as a gang. And um, before the mission even started, um, we were sent out to... Uh, uh, an adventure called Knowles. What is it? National Outdo- Outdoor Leadership School. National Outdoor Leadership School. Um, and uh, we went out into the the Rocky Mountains in Wyoming, and we did a backpacking trip all together. And um, it was kind of like the last step of of crew selection. And from that time together, we uh, we really built a rapport. Um, uh, the the final six uh, that were chosen, mm-hmm. and we actually took that rapport and we we brought that with us into the dome. So, for the first at least half the mission, we we were getting along great. Everything was peachy. We were enjoying cooking for each other and hanging out, and you know. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, space geeks are <laughs> geeky in other ways. So, you know, we, we enjoyed watching our Doctor Who and our Firefly and our nice. Game of Thrones. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. uh, we we were playing board games and, and all this stuff and everything was great. And then, you know, I, I kind of liken it to a, a new relationship with a significant other. Mm-hmm, you know, at the very mm-hmm. beginning, everybody's really excited and, and uh, you, you kind of like gloss over things that might not... 
uh, annoy you so much. Uh, and then as that excitement kind of fades, <laughs> at the, after the honeymoon phase is over, you know, then those little things that would have normally annoyed you or wouldn't wouldn't uh, w- weren't annoying you before, uh, they they annoy you now. And and when you know you're you're doing things because the other person wants to do them, now you're kind of trying to do things for yourself. Right. So it was kind of interesting to see who you know fell you know who left the honeymoon stages first and who <laughs> left you know who was still in the honeymoon stage you know trying to keep that camaraderie you know we had cheerleaders that were trying to keep the camaraderie and then uh, there were other crew members that were like yeah you know i'm just gonna kind of do my own thing now you know and it's um you know everything's everybody's okay with that so uh on the you know on the whole it was a great mission Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. we all pardon me we all enjoyed each other's company um for the most part, the entire way. And uh, we all emerged as friends, and uh, it was a fantastic experience. And I think uh, if you asked any of the other crew members, they would say the same thing. I like how you compared it to, like, a relationship. I can see that. You know, um, and I'm I'm wondering, Kim, you know, there was this show called The Real World, right? What happens Mm -hmm. when you put people in a space and they stop being polite and start being real? (coughs) But another element of that is that they they know they're being watched. So is there a control? I mean, is there a way that you can adjust that maybe Neil is behaving himself and being a model citizen because he knows you're monitoring his heartbeat and voice, voice levels? I mean, how does that work? How does the watcher effect play? Well, first, with comparison with reality TV, I just want to point out that reality TV picks its subjects to be high drama. Yes. And we pick our people to be low drama, exact <laughs> opposite motivation. So, so you end up with quite a different dynamic. Um, and in terms of watching, you might imagine high drama people – act up for the camera as much as anything else. Um, So, um, so, no, I I don't, I think you can be on your best behavior for only so long. And that's one of the reasons why we like doing these long duration missions, Mm. because, you know, you will, you will start to see cracks. People will sort of, you can't, you can't be on your, as I say, your best behavior permanently. Um, And so one of the questions we're asking actually is, is where does that line fall? Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Um, How long do the missions have to be before we can uh, start seeing um, seeing where these relationships are going? Um, Another thing I think that relates to what what Neil was just saying is that uh, there's a tendency at NASA now to try and prevent conflict, which is very reasonable. You don't want your crew members fighting. However, you can only prevent conflict for so long. It's going to come up at some point. Mm. So what you want instead is for crews to be resilient, to be able to respond to conflict and still and regain that that crew coherence and mm-hmm. perform well. This is this is fascinating and you know it's it's showing because our our phone lines are pretty lit up and mm. we want to get a couple of our or several of our callers to chime in. Ryan from Honolulu, Ryan, uh, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Oh, hey, guys. This is Brian Chiro. Um, great, great <laughs> Hi, Brian. Show. Oh, Brian. <laughs> Brian. Not for What's hire. happening, okay. Brian? You, you actually answered the question while I was waiting, so I'll ask another one. Um, yeah, I was, I was interested in learning about how you think, uh, you know, you, your outlook evolved over the mission, but you, you got to that. And I was just wondering, Neil, how you feel like returning to Earth has been. Have you adjusted well? Um, you know, PSD? has it opened doors like you'd hoped? And I know on the Knowles course, you were certainly one of the most resilient people and, and you know, good-natured. And Did that survive unscathed throughout high seas? And just like to know how you fare. Um, actually, yeah, it, that was an, a really interesting thing. Uh, 
I, I went back to Cleveland and started hanging out with my, my old friends. And I, you know what? I fit right back in like I never left. So it was, you know, I'm not damaged. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not damaged normal. goods. <laughs> and, you know, beer helps. So uh, Did you pick l- up any, any skills in interacting with people on a long term that you could suddenly apply to a relative or an old friend? Like, okay, I know how to handle this. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I had to sleep on my buddy's couch uh, while I was in Cleveland. So, you know, he he had kind of particular ways. And so, you know, it was kind of easier to deal with that mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> after spending eight months with with people. You know, OK, I'll, I'll wash the dishes the way you want me to wash the dishes. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care. Cool. Very good. Alex, we want to welcome Alex from Pearl Harbor to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, I'm just kind of curious. I'm a submariner. And uh, for these space missions and, you know, simulated uh, environments, you know, for Mars, how much have you looked at the uh, submarine community for inspiration? Yeah, good question. A lot, a lot. So there's been a long history of analog research, and most of it um, has been in what we call um, these sort of opportunistic analogs. So they're, uh, for example, submarines, um, Antarctic exploration, um, even prisons are, are isolating confined environments. And so we've learned a lot from those. Um, but one of the problems with those is that we can't, one, we can't select our crews. So it's important that we have a crew with astronaut-like psychology. You might imagine astronauts have a very, very particular mindset. Um, and also, we want to be able to control some of the circumstances. So, for example, the communication delay, the geological field work, and so on. And mm-hmm. we just don't have that level of control in some of these opportunistic analogs. But yes, we've learned a huge amount, particularly from uh, from submarines. An excellent very, question. That's great, Alex. Thanks for calling. And we want to go to Cheryl. Cheryl, uh, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, my question is, are you looking at all at sleep habits with the crew members and how to maybe optimize sleep under these conditions? And then are you looking at all at how sleep affects their performance on the tasks that you're having them do? Great. Another great question. Thank you. So we've had uh, sleep studies as part of our opportunistic research. And one of the rules on opportunistic research is we can take data, but we don't um, have any interventions. So we don't make the crew do certain things uh, on mm-hmm. these. So, yeah, the crews have been tracking their sleep, um, and, of course, we've been tracking their performance, so we'll be able to correlate the two. Um, but we haven't actually been um, telling them, oh, you've got to get to bed by a certain hour, you've got to get eight hours of sleep per night and things like that. So, mm-hmm. Neil, did you have, like, some night owls and some morning people c- crossing over with each other? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the crew members um, was a supreme night owl, would, uh, and in fact, work through the night sometimes, and then... Uh, uh, some crew members would wake up very early in the morning when the when the sun came up. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of crossover, uh, but we managed, you know. It was was not really a big deal. I'd just like to point out that on uh, Mars 500, which was the Russian 520-day study, they actually did have an issue where one of the crew members there uh, went completely, was cycling, sleep completely. So went completely on a different sleep cycle from the rest of the crew, and that did cause some conflict. Wow. Interesting, interesting. interesting. Uh, We want to go to Richard from, uh, well, I think from Honolulu. Uh, Welcome to to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi, hello. Yes. I'm wondering, uh, do you folks require committed couples, or is it just four? Is it divided, male, female? Ah. And say you're on this extended mission to Mars, and a woman gets pregnant. Do you have to deal with that possibility as far as taking care of a baby? And I know it's a little touchy, but is a, at that point, would an abortion be 
demanded or required. Well, to, to answer your first question, um, with our crews, we, we don't require three men and three women, although that's what we've ended up with each time. We just require that we don't have um, either sex on their own. So we wouldn't have five women and one man or vice versa. Um, the crew don't generally know each other before they get selected. There have been some cases where they've you know, known each other a bit. but uh, So no, we're not, certainly not selecting couples, um, although there have been uh, some um, dis- potential missions discussed um, for Mars exploration, which would require a couple. There was the uh, Mars Inspiration mission, which was looking for a married couple. That Mm. obviously hasn't happened yet, but it could still happen. Um, In terms of um, pregnancy in space, um, I am not in charge of these things, but I would highly recommend that um, people use birth control. I think that would be wisest. I personally would not want to be so, pregnant so, in space. So in terms of the resources required? Yeah, so the, <laughs> exactly. So, the, so what, it's, it's safe to say that for the next three-year funding cycle, you're not incorporating that aspect of an experiment. Absolutely not. <laughs> but a very good question, That's certainly. a great question. Now, you know, I, I want to find out, Kim, um, you know, on a typical day, are you are you sitting there in mission control thinking, Okay, well, this guy Neil, he's he's a he's a pretty mellow guy. Maybe I'll tweak his his stress <laughs> level a little bit and 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 get him to do something. I mean, what do you do at Mission Control? Well, our our mission support, and it's actually important that we call it mission support, okay, not mission okay, control, okay. Uh, because we're actually trying to shift NASA's model for what mm-hmm. mission support does. Um, right now, mission control with the space station really does control their schedule down to the minute. Uh, um, whereas uh. on a Mars mission, partly because of the communications latency and partly because of the sheer length and, and not being able to predict everything that's going to come up, Mission supports can have a lot less control, mm-hmm. and so we're trying to transition that model. So what we have is we've got a team, mission support team that's spread all over the world, and they in eight-hour shifts, they basically respond to the crew requests and make sure that the crew are doing well, you know, respond to any safety concerns. I personally um, am always checking my email. <laughs> I'm kind of always attending what's going on, but I do try to let mission support do their job and and support the crew without too much intervention from mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the interesting aspects of these missions, it's not a reality TV show and it is not massively engineered for drama, but they are allow the opportunity to journal, to blog, to take pictures, to publish. You've had musicians, you've had mm-hmm. poets on previous missions. It has been amazing to see a mix of what you would say is like serious nerdery science and liberal arts and creativity all in one place. And that's happening right now with your current mission. Um, Neil, how did you express yourself? Did, and after you were allowed to return to the real world, did, were you able to gauge kind of how your uh, how these stories from all of the, the participants were received? Um, I To answer your first question, I personally uh, did a lot of photography and videography, did a lot of editing, uh, putting uh, videos up on YouTube and things like that. Um, Most of the other crew members had a a running blog. Um, And so, um, you know, since I've been back, um, you know, I've kept up my photography. I still I I upgraded my equipment. I'm still I (laughs) last last night at uh, rehearsal. um, Oh, speaking a little plug here. uh, Come see Sunday in the Park with George at uh, UH Manoa here coming up next month. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) um, you'll get to hear me sing, which may or not be a good thing. Um, But uh, yeah, I was just out uh, photographing last night. So, um, you know, I keep that going and uh, I'm pretty sure everybody else has kept their blog going. I'm not quite sure yeah, about so. that but you know i'm a i'm a busy uh, master student i can't keep up with all that <laughs> so kim is the process of journaling 
something that is studied or might be studied as because that's also in the in the book for example it's something that is expected and is perhaps part of their keeping their minds straight about their work is that something you're looking at well actually one of the sub studies of uh, sift um, is actually about doing automatic analysis of text and again it's um, what we're trying to do is walk the line between respecting crew members' privacy and trying to detect problems before they come ser- become serious. So what SIFT does is it takes this text. No one reads it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but a piece of software goes through it and analyzes the frequency of certain words and so on and is able to raise red flags if, um, if it looks like something might be brewing. Well, so there's a great blog that's uh, livefrommars.life, and I guess uh, – Shay is one of the members of this 12-month mission. That's right, yeah. And and she's been blogging quite a bit. And, and of course, the last uh, post that I read about her, her, she's one of the, I think she does all the cooking. I don't think she does all the cooking, but she's very interested in um, fermenting and cultivating. So she was talking well, so, about that in her blog. Right. So the, 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 you know, the last uh, entry was about her making bread and making yogurt. And in both of those cases, you need a live culture for the bread as well as for the uh, yogurt. And she personified both of them. One was Bob and the other one was Hans. And, you know, these cultures, you got to keep them alive or else you're not going to eat bread or you're not going to have any yogurt. Uh, are there any indications of perhaps where she might be headed with this? Well, in, okay, to be completely fair, okay, you, okay. You, can, uh, you can send a crew, um, if you want them to be making bread with a a thing of yeast, and they can make it with a new spoon of yeast every time. Mm-hmm. So she's been experimenting with keeping a sourdough culture alive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is great and lovely and wonderful. Um, so, but but yeah, I think that that uh, being able to make bread with its wonderful texture and to be able to make yogurt and make fresh cheeses um, is a really important addition to uh, a diet involving shelf stable ingredients. Right. If nothing else, it gives you some texture that's really hard to get uh, <laughs> from other shelf stable foods. And maybe Neil can speak to that. Well, well we're, actually, unfortunately, we're. Yeah. Uh, no, but Kim, well, if somebody no, wanted to, you cannot speak to that. <laughs> if Kim, if somebody wanted to catch up with all of the writings and stories of this brave crew cooped up for a year, where should they go? They should go to the High Seas website, which is hi-seas.org, and we link to all the crew's blogs from there. Great. Fantastic. Well, Kim Binsett is the co-investigator of the High Seas mission, and Neil Shabalhut is one of the specialists on the eighth-month mission, and we want to thank you both for joining us. Thank you. you Great being here. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we find out about UAV or drone education and the new commercial applications. And of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. You can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a musician called Afrojack and a song called Summer Thing. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. It's just a little ditty, baby. I just wanna go, ooh, 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 damn. Cause you're so 